to follow the rules around you. Yeah. Um, so in defensive driving, when looking at that, it's important to, um, if there's a car in front of you, um, that you're, you're investigating always. A lot of people will say, um, oh, he took this turn right here, um, and that's why he got in the car accident. And that's why everything happened, and that's what the insurance looks at or whatever. But really, it might be a little wiser to look at what was he doing beforehand. He was a second behind the person, and he didn't have time to, if the person just rapidly stopped, to stop himself, and that's how the accident happened. Um, and then we look at that a lot of cars tend to drive in clumps, um, and the people in those clumps are in a lot more danger than the people outside of them. Um, so the point of the analogy being that um, that we like to credit things to one single moment, um, but a lot of the, you can see a pattern if you're looking, or um, it's mm. not really that one moment. Um, it's really the events building up, and um, but it's, that was it's like Steve Jobs says: you you can't see looking forward, but looking back, you can see 2020. And the whole yeah. everything. No, like, I, I agree with what you're saying, looking back, but in hindsight, I can I express definitely... my because I I definitely relate to you too, in the sense that I um, I had um, like in I don't know a while back when I was younger, I downloaded an app like Headspace, if you heard of it, which is like short meditations, um, just on your phone, like guided meditations. Um, and then as I did Headspace, like years, years later, I was more interested. Um, or, well, I saw the benefit originally there. Um, and then, um, you know, how everything works in the computer nowadays, you can just click like one single link and find something that you never would have been expecting to find. Yeah. Um, so that. it's like, so really, um, I can credit like my whole, um, finding all this meditation stuff a little more um, more not intensely but a little more deeply maybe even that word's not very satisfactory but um, like one click on like a random twitch live stream where I found someone that interests me and then I ended up going down a rabbit hole over a few years just progressively but yeah in that sense there was this one moment that I got sort of curious and lucky um, and I clicked on this thing, and I w never would have found the other resources I would have found um, if I hadn't clicked on that thing. Um, and there were other clicks, too, um, in that process of clicking. But it's interesting to look at how nowadays it can just be a click on a computer rather than having to travel to India, like you were mentioning earlier. Yeah. I'm getting some background noise from someone. No, yeah. sorry, that's me. There's a, it's like some guy. I, I don't know what he's doing, but here, wait, hold on. <laughs> he's blowing leaves and doors. I didn't know leaves could get in there. That's quite aggressive. <laughs> it's not like you're blowing leaks right into your room. <laughs> All right. Is that better? 
Yeah, that's better. Thank you. Yes, yeah. that is better. Yeah, yeah. And I, just, I, I live in like an apartment complex. And it's literally right outside my window right there. So. Right, right, right. Parker, do you feel done? Um, yeah, I feel done. Cool. Who's next? I'll go. I've got to go in just a second, but I can share anyway before really? I get out. Um, so I told, I, I told a couple of you, I told you that at least that uh, I was involved in Aikido for a number of years, uh, about 15 to 17 years. And uh, one of my best friends uh, in that art uh, introduced me to the Watt in Greensboro and Don Rato to begin with. And so that's how my meditation practice began in earnest and, you know, all the retreats that followed and then more or less personal practice as it as it as it went on. So I guess that was I mean I, I really hadn't known too much about it in the practice manner up until that point. Um, as far as there being um, instructions involved uh, beyond just a bit of like you know Zen encountered there. But uh, once I had been given more um, you know. Uh, direct instruction in, in the Vipassana, uh, and and then I really um, enjoyed how that uh, how that went, how that felt, and then I just kept sort of climbing, um, climbing around in that uh, in that uh, tradition. Um, so you know, that's I guess that's the the shorthand version of it. And then speaking of clicking on unexpected YouTube links, that's how I rediscovered Damarato. Uh, just a few months ago, and so and then um, and have been re um, re-entering uh, the practice in a bit more serious manner, other than you know ten minutes here on day, on a Monday and then fifteen minutes on a Wednesday. It's been much more disciplined and dedicated. Um, yeah. So. And, and how much is it? If I can, if I can ask you a personal question and pin you down. What's that? Oh, how much are you meditating now? Um, between, I don't know, between, I don't know, usually 40 minutes on one period and maybe 30 minutes on another. So, yeah, somewhere in there, somewhere, somewhere between, and I guess, yeah, I, I'm between an hour to an hour and a half per day and two different times. Yeah. Yeah. So, Ron, when, when Rick came and joined, oh, and, and by the way, Ron, I just muted you there because we were still getting, yeah, so, yeah. Um, when Rick came and, and joined these calls for the first time, it was fascinating for me because I had had this whole journey of speaking with Damarato, and I think it was the same for Parker, that we've been on this whole journey, and, and Rick had known Damarato sort of 10 years prior to either of us, and <laughs> it's just, it's just amazing how it goes. Yeah. So absolutely. thanks, thanks to Damarato for being around for so long. <laughs> indeed, indeed, it was, it was a what a pleasant surprise to see his yeah. uh, his face and just a few months from from when I saw the first video and said, "Oh, this guy is still around. Let's go reach out." And here I am, you know, today. But, yeah. but well, I guess yeah. I guess we all have the internet to think in one way or another. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But unfortunately, guys, I have to sign off. I have a work thing to do, but um, okay, I'll great. catch you guys soon. Okay? Great. Great seeing you, right. Ryan. Yeah, it was nice meeting you. Bye. Bye-bye. Ryan, you want to share how you got started in all this?
So my story, as usual, is going to be the weirdest of everybody's. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. So what? So what I was thinking was that uh, I wanted to get into meditation, and anytime I've done meditation, immediately I guess get into bliss and I get into that peace and the calm. And once mm-hmm. I think this is amazing, I have to do this every day. Once I feel I have to do this every day, and that pressure is there, I don't do it. <laughs> so I have had ins and outs with the meditation. Until I went and in, got into transcendental meditation, and then I got meditation a bit more deeper. I was more more regular with it, and uh, so I've been off and on regular, regular with the meditation. So how much progress can you make when you're irregular with it? And then finally, then I thought about enlightenment and moving towards this thing, but I didn't really know. Okay, how do you do this? And I did this thing. Then I got into Daniel Ingram and mastering the core teachings of, and I thought, wow, this is a roadmap. Yeah, no, I thought the same thing. I literally have the book in my living room. Yeah, and then I then then I so I read the Mind Illuminated. Then I I mean I started reading that, and then I started to get into that practice. Then I thought, okay, then I got into Tranquil Wisdom Insight Meditation, and then I thought this is the meditation for me because Tranquil Wisdom Insight Meditation is you just feel good, you feel that meta feeling, and so what they said is that the usual concentrating on the breath. The Buddha said it's too. Too aggressive, too pressured, too too clenched fist, because at that time the way you deal with the hindrances is you just push them away and you get back to the breath. It's very forceful. With this one, you have any hindrances that come and you just relax into them, and then you you go back and you smile through the meditation. So it's a feel good meditation. It's smiling and you make journey through the progress much faster. So then I thought, wow, this is even better. It's much faster, much quicker. I love this form of meditation. And then I got shitted. I said, no, man, listen. I don't want to lose my ego now. I love my ego. I love my driving and my searching and my this thing and my desires and all that. I love. Let me do the losing ego and nonsense when in my sixties. But then this part inside you that is actually you, there's no control. No, it just pulls. It's just pulling me back into this process and the practice. And then I'm speaking to. I started speaking to Dan, speaking to you guys. And then once I'm meeting you guys, I'm in the mindset of this thing. So I'm just thinking, yeah, there's no choice really. You just get pulled into it, no. And it's yeah. not me in control, like we all know. No, <laughs> you don't find the path. The path finds you. Yeah, yeah. So, so then I'm like, man, just give up. This is what's happening. Yes, yeah. Wonderful, wonderful. <laughs> one one note that I would like to make is um, about the many interpretations of the Buddha's teaching and how we are subject to many mistranslations. And some might show up with a flavor of forcing. I struggle to imagine that the Buddha himself would ever have recommended any kind of forcing. So we end up with teachers and teachings making statements about the Buddha's teaching. I think it's more often that they're making statements against another interpretation of the Buddha's teaching. You think right. this is how it interpreted later. Yeah. And the Buddha's really way was tranquilizing the mind. So that's what they say about relaxing. I mean, the, the Buddha's way was Vipassana. 
Well, the most comfortable way that I would say it is there are 16 steps in the Anapanasati dance. Are, are those, as, is that the progress of insight? No. Okay. No, that's the no, eightfold this, path. I'm not sure that's quite the progress of insight either. I think we might have three different uh, menus in, in play here. But, but Anapanasati was the actual method, the actual meditation method that the Buddha taught. Hmm. And there are 16 steps, though, as Damarato teaches it, what we have to be careful of there with our westernized minds is that we don't think of that as a sequence. Rather, they're to be thought of like the steps of a dance that can come in any order. We're rather more styling. Tranquilizing the mind is one of those steps, although immediately we're into the problems of translation in that tranquilizing might not quite be the best word for the yeah. job. And there's all kinds of little traps like this, all kinds of little semantic puzzles uh, to unravel. Um, gladdening the mind is Damarato's favorite step of Anapanasati. And so that fits right in with the Tranquil Wisdom Insight Meditation. And what I found most of all in Dhammarato's presentation of the Dhamma is that it's all represented. There's a time for relaxing. There's a time for gladdening. There's a time for tightening up. Now, I don't mean like tensely. I mean like tightening up as in like tightening up your ship. We were speaking about the Buddha's teaching on right effort either last week or the week before, right? Sometimes the, tu the, the string needs to be tuned a little tighter. Sometimes it needs to be loosened off. And so in teachings like that, we see a clear demonstration of how the Buddha actually had it all represented. And of course, there were 84,000 teachings that eventually went down on paper. It's a heck of a lot of teachings to a heck of a lot of different people. And... Uh, Folks will find ways to criticize the Buddha if they want among those 84,000. Folks will find places in those 84,000 that can seem to be contradictory. But actually what's happening is a little to the left, a little to the right, one teaching for one dude, another teaching for another dude, all in the direction of Dukkha Niroda, the cessation of dissatisfaction. That's what we're interested in. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Mm. So, Ryan, did you feel done? Yeah, I am. That's your whole story. Great. Okay, so the way that I came to this in earnest, Ron, was first of all, I was heinously stressed out. I had uh, I had been living both the benefits and the challenges of a self-employed lifestyle throughout my 20s. And I was actually in a lot of physical pain. That was the most prominent complaint that I had. What I would find out in time was that there was mental pain behind that physical pain. So I went to see a chiropractor first and foremost, and she said, there's nothing wrong with your spine. It's what you're doing with it. That's the problem. 
She said, now you can come back and see me every fortnight. I can put you right. And then you can go put yourself wrong. And we'll go on like that for the rest of your life. Or she said, you can go and see an Alexander Technique teacher. And they'll teach you how to stop putting yourself wrong. So that's what I did. I went and saw an Alexander Technique teacher and fell down that rabbit hole. After about 20 weeks of lessons and a week and a half long summer workshop, one of the things that changed for me immediately was I experienced a diminished tendency to procrastinate. And um, one of the things that I had been procrastinating on was listening to talks by Alan Watts. I had heard some of Alan Watts and uh, I had the impression that it would be good for me to listen to more, but I had been procrastinating. And so when I stopped procrastinating, that was the first thing I did. I swallowed Alan Watts whole for about six months, listened to every talk I could get my hands on. Then I moved on to Ram Dass and then some other speakers as well. And I started to hear more and more from all of these speakers that at some point, some direct guidance from a teacher is a good idea. And I felt ripe for that experience. And so I got on Reddit, started digging around, and I found Damarato. Caught him up with great skepticism. We spoke for three hours. I called him right back the next day and we spoke for another two or so. And we would then speak very regularly for around a year as I developed my practice and then less and less as the practice continued to develop. And uh, the, the kind of latter part of that story is that at some point there was a crisis in my family. Someone very close to me attempted suicide. And so I stayed with this person and basically threw the Dharma at them, kept speaking with them daily for a period afterward and happily they rediscovered the joy in life. And so Damarato said, well, you better start teaching some other folks now. <laughs> and so I started doing that. And, and the, the greatest thing about that was how much it reconfirmed and reconfirmed and reconfirmed for me the benefit of the Dharma. It's one thing seeing the practice work for yourself. Quite another thing when you're sharing it with others and they're coming back at you and saying, hey, this shit works. And here we are. So you Quite still great. have your you still have your body pains? Uh, much, much less. Uh, if I have any of that old physical pain at this point, it's much more on the level of a... The word, the word discomfort would even be too much. So that old tendency is still somewhat around. But goodness me, I mean, I've... I have freed myself many times over uh, with with the feeling sense being relative. It becomes difficult to remember how much discomfort one was in. Yeah, no, I can understand that. Yeah, yeah. 
So, yeah, you know, I'll still get the occasional backache, certainly if I go and play a heavy show on the drums and, you know, that's that's quite something. Uh, then maybe I'll experience a bit of discomfort, but I used to I used to be lying flat on a hard surface for 10 minutes after playing a show just to try to deal with the pain. Um, and I haven't done that for a long time. So very pleased about that. And the, the Alexander Technique stuff and the Dharma play very well together. Uh, I would have all kinds of wonderful conversations with Dhammarato about the Alexander Technique and all kinds of conversations with my Alexander Technique teacher about the Dharma. And um, sure enough, all we're ever really interested in is Dukkha Niroda. We just want to be satisfied. And, and that's that's what both the Buddha and this fella Alexander were interested in, in their own ways. That's so fair. I've had quite, quite a good few years, I would say. I feel very fortunate to have come into contact with these wonderful teachers, and wonderful friends. How about you, Ron? What's your story? Oh, uh, not really similar to any of the other stories that I've heard so far. For okay. me, it was honestly psychedelics. Mm-hmm. Right, we've yeah. spoken a little about this, haven't we? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So at first, I just, you know, I was having these insane, intense experiences with LSD. It kind of opened up my perspective for what was possible. I was experiencing the world in ways I'd never thought possible before. Mm. But the thing is, I I could always sense this kind of like this ceiling. You know, there was right. something there was more there to to be experienced than what I was currently getting at. And then I had this experience after that kind of reaffirmed that belief. I actually went to this uh this LSD retreat with uh with my mom actually oh wow don't hear that and, often <laughs> yeah because no, it was run by it was run by my mom's sister she's a psychiatrist and she dabbles cool. in that type of stuff cool so, right you know was I, a psychiatrist. oh wow that's cool yeah but yeah no so i thought that i was having the the craziest experiences on this stuff you know and then i i sat down and uh, my aunt's husband did the did the process too and you know after you know we lay down we we let the trip take its course after we we set up a campfire and i heard my aunt and uncle talking and my aunt was like oh so uh, which which type of uh, experience did you have this time did you have more of a visual one or an auditory one and he was like oh no i had a traveling one i was like wait a second what do you mean by that mm-hmm. and you know at that point they kind of hinted into me that it's not really about the dosage it's about what you're willing to receive from it Mm. you know after that uh shortly after that i moved out uh, i started my first year in college and you know me and my roommate we kind of went on an lsd bender so to speak Mm -hmm. but i'd like to think that it was very beneficial because at the end of the day i feel like a lot of people they tend to have bad experiences because they do it for the wrong reason you know, right. they, they treat it like a drug. They just try to escape reality. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was using it to try to dive deeper into my own psyche to to mm. hit that that ceiling that I could always sense. Mm. Mm. And mm. then, you know, one of the times 
I eventually, I reached that ceiling and I shattered it. And I had had my, my first out-of-body experience, for, for lack of better words. Mm, and mm. that experience just gave me undeniable proof that there was something greater than myself, than mm. the simple experience of this body. Mm-hmm. It kind of gave me like a glimpse into nirvana. Mm, and mm. that was what kind of inspired me to learn more about meditation and this and that because suddenly i i knew there was more there than than i was currently aware of and my journey started with with frank yang i know i've mm-hmm. told you about him before you know how you yeah. said you were you were listening to all this alan watts over the past six over a course of six months yeah, i was the same way with frank yang great yeah yeah and then, you know that got me into uh daniel ingram as well I started uh, I started reading uh, books by Shinzen Young, and I have mm-hmm. two by uh, Ajay Shanti that I still haven't mm. read yet. Mm. And, you know, mm. it's just all that combined with my practice. Mm. Because, you know, once I really started getting into it, it just, I had this, like, moment of clarity where mm. it just felt as if it was something that was always supposed to happen. Because, you know, I would have these insights and these memories from my childhood that mm. kind of pointed back to that and I just couldn't tell then. Mm. Couldn't tell what? That that's what it was pointing to. You know, I would have like memories from when I was a little kid or, you know, back in high school when I was just like, why don't I have the answers? What's wrong? And, you know, looking back, I see exactly why it happened as it happened and how it led me to where I am today. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, once mm. I started getting deeper into it, I just, I just want nothing more except to see clearly. Mm. I feel like it's just a matter of returning to what it is that you always were. Indeed. Indeed, the irreducible truth. Yeah, exactly. And I already have a nihilistic perspective on life. I don't think there's any meaning, any purpose, anything, you know, I know at the end of the day, you're just born, you live, and then you die. And, you know, I'm already past the point of no return, I can never go back to trying to be and live as I was before. So there's, Mm -hmm. there's only one direction for me to go with this. Right. Right. And uh, if experience tells me anything, it's that interestingly, you're highly likely to find yourself living a life which other people will point at and say is full of meaning. Yeah. <laughs> As you wander around experiencing emptiness everywhere. <laughs> I don't even know about that though, because you know, we that's can't another know thing. for sure. We can't know for sure. Well, yeah, but you know, I used to you know, I used to think that I knew exactly what I wanted out of life you know I used to love the idea of getting married having a family you know starting a business you know taking advantage of the capitalist society that we live in (laughs) and now I I don't I don't even know if I want all that I don't I don't know if I even want a life that in the eyes of someone normal would be considered fulfilling because at the end of the day, it 
it, it wouldn't be regardless. It wouldn't make a difference. Well, it can't bring you satisfaction. And one of the qualities of that point of no return that you're speaking about is that you see, as our friend Damarato likes to express it, oh, boundless joy to find at last there is no happiness in the world. Yeah. We stop looking at things for our happiness, right? Yeah, but then another thing, I, I used to want to be a, a father very much. Now, mm. I, I, I don't think I want to have kids. I feel like the desire to want to have children is inherently selfish because for the most part, you're not doing it for them. You're doing it for your own desire to have a child. At Indeed. the end of the day, to live you is to suffer. Them, you can't ask them ahead of time whether or not they want to be. <laughs> exactly. They're, they're <laughs> incapable of making the choice. And, you know, this is something I've asked myself over and over very, very many times if I could have chosen to never have existed in the first place. Would I do it or would I not? Because mm. right now, all I'm even trying to do is get back to that, that vast space of emptiness. An unborn child has no opportunity for realization either. Yeah, that's fair. Right, so there's something to be said for all of that, uh, what shall we say, reverence with which the wisdom traditions treat the human birth. And largely what I see is precisely that when one is wandering in samsara, one might have um, a kind of resentment toward birth. But then from the place of realization, nothing but gratitude for the marvelous wonder of a single moment. And it's quite a trip to bring it full circle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wish I could say I knew what it was like. But well, yeah, that's well, you do. Well, I do, but I don't. I feel like I, I definitely do have the intellectual understanding and I definitely have had defining experiences that have given me great joy, gratitude, appreciation simply for being in the present moment. But I feel like I've yet to achieve these insights of direct realization into my own true nature. Mm. You know, I've read somewhere that on the path there, there are five levels of realization. The first is association with the ego, which is just what every normal person is. The second is association with consciousness or awareness, which could be seen as, you know, where you are after stream entry. Mm -hmm. Third level is association with infinity, God, love, everything. Mm. The fourth level is association with nothing, death, mm. you know, stuff like that, emptiness. And then the fifth level is uh, true nature or Buddhahood, uh, where all the previous steps merge together and transcend themselves. And it's just this. Yeah. And this is good enough as it Sorry. is. Hmm? No. I'm just on Skype call. Am I in trouble? 
it's okay. I was just gonna say that I'm playing um building earnings. Oh. So. What time's? Oh shit! Right now? Yeah. Oh sure. Yeah, I might have to hop in now. Wait now. So. I got the last earnings are similar, and like I just think revenue is gonna match or exceed expectations, so I think we'll just bounce from here. Okay. Sorry about that, guys. No, no problem. No problem. That's my roommate. You, uh, a knock at the door right at the punchline. Yeah. Which was, whether, not sure whether you heard, that in the end it's just this, and this is good enough as it is. Yeah, that's true. That's it. That's the whole show. And yes, there is the apparent moving through stages. And so people publish these wonderful maps that bring us right back to where we started, right here, right now. The difference being, now it's finally good enough. Yeah. <laughs> it's just... Parker's enjoying these jokes. <laughs> Oh, Park is having a good laugh. Yes. Yeah, love it. Uh, Bikku Buddhadasa had the um, idea, that's Damarado's teacher, um, of little nirvanas. Yes. Um, oftentimes, um, especially now in the West, um, nirvana is this very grandiose thing that we um, think. It's kind of really a concept rather than something that we've really experienced. It's just something we've learned through hearsay. Mm -hmm. um, but originally, um, one of the definitions of the world, word nirvana is cooling off. So something mm -hmm. as simple as an, uh, pizza coming out of the oven, that, that's in nirvana, it's cooling off. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and we have these moments every day, um, even, say, after a long day of work, watching the TV, right? That's, that's a little bit of cooling off after a day of um, um, you're getting, um, although... Um, the TV might not be giving you what you want exactly. You're giving yourself to the TV and kind of enjoying the present moment. Um, so we have these experiences of Nirvana every day. They're an everyday thing. Mm. Um, and like I said, it's just about enjoying them and settling into them. And they're right here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, we can't get away from it. If truth is truth... There's absolutely nothing we can do to get away from it. Even our yeah. most deluded wanderings in samsara are right here. <laughs> right now. <laughs> but it's the seeing, right? The seeing the appreciation. Yeah, that's literally all it is. Just yeah. seeing it as is. Seeing it as is. And, and you, you mentioned that most wholesome of desires earlier on which is that desire to see things clearly yeah i know i feel like that's one of my biggest obstacles the idea that it's something that isn't here right now right and it's right. just because when i meditate i try i meditate at least for half an hour every day you know half an hour of uh, do nothing meditation in the morning i i let my desires thoughts emotions everything just arise and pass as it is i stop associating with them the only thing i try to actively look for are uh impermanence and no self and when 
I do my meditation practices, I, I realize like I'm, I'm there. This isn't me meditating. Meditation is just consciousness expressing itself. But then throughout the rest of the day, I still feel solidified for the most part. Mm -hmm. There are two different roads that I'd enjoy going down here. Uh, let's see if I can keep track of them, keep track of the other while I talk about the one. Um, I'll do the quickest one first. And, and one is a potent antidote to our negative bias that we're trained into with our westernized minds is to acknowledge the successes that we're having in meditation. I've been told I need to do that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> well, by my roommate. Oh, OK. Well, good advice. And it sounds like it would be something, to, to some, it sounds like it would be something altogether too deliberate, certainly if the instruction is to do nothing, until we uh, appreciate that actually we're likely in negative bias already. Right now, we don't want to kind of take that at face value and say, I'm in negative bias, so I need to do something else to. But it's just acknowledging the successes that we're having in meditation is something that we're not predisposed to do. We're more predisposed due to our conditioning, our upbringing to spot our short side. Yeah. 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 So when you sit with the intention to see and you see, that's a success. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that has the power of making the sit pleasant, enjoyable. So what do you know? Now we want to sit more. And so yeah, we no, sit that more. definitely has been. That definitely has been happening lately. I've yeah. I've seen my my ability to be able to sit is definitely coming much more naturally. Right. And I definitely want to start meditating uh, in the afternoons too, and incorporating vipassana meditation into my routine as well, because cool. I feel like at the end of the day they're just two sides of the same coin. You know, the, the Vipassana meditation kind of deconstructs the solidity within the body-mind, makes it easier to see clearly while doing do-nothing meditation. Well, it's all an investigation in the end, right? And so you'll try whatever methods you want to try. And if they bring you what you're seeking, which is Dukkha Niroda, then you'll know to continue you will know that that's the right direction. Now, the other road that, that I wanted to go down was the road of skill development, which Damarato is really keen on. So we talk about skill, meaning as you sit and you look and you investigate, you're developing the skills of looking and investigating. As you develop skills, they become easier to deploy. And so where once you had to have that distraction free environment in order to deploy those skills. Now you can do it while you're out at a concert. Now you can do it when the dentist is shoving a drill down your throat. 
<laughs> right? Yeah. And the, the easier those skills become, the more we develop those skills in sitting, the easier it is to bring them into everything. And that's really where we want to be. That's, that's the sweet spot is where we don't have to do much of anything that looks formal. We've developed the skills so that they require very little uh, input, so to speak. We're still alert, we're still watching, but it's easy to be alert, it's easy to watch. You just don't feel any attachment to the action. Right. Right. No, I... Indeed, when, when Duca Duca Naroda is seen clearly, why would you not go in the direction of Duca Naroda? Why would you ever choose Duca? Right? So it, there's a kind of momentum. Why not? Why not? Duca is amazing. <laughs> Tell me more, Ryan. Duca is amazing. Suffering is beautiful. It's spectacularly beautiful. In a way of, of seeing things, sure. No, no. I mean, you put your, you did your drumming. How much suffering did you get to do the drumming? How many manas did you put in? Anything I've gotten good at, I've gotten good at gym, I put the manas into it. I got good at game, I put the manas into it. I felt the pain. I Everything, my work, I put the pain and I put the manas in. Sure. So, it's, suffering yeah. is beautiful. See, the good things that happen to me, I can feel good. I can feel like a fucking champion now. Look at me now, I'm pumping my mood up. Let I show you how I pump my mood up. Look at my mood now. Here it goes, here it goes. Bam, I'm flying. Yes. Okay. I can get that. And, uh, yeah, and you know, it's, I'm really flying because it's infectious. Okay, yes. I can feel good at any time. Yes. Okay, now feeling good, see all the things that in life that feel good, they feel crap afterwards. Like the, the food. Oh, well, okay. Okay, so now we're yeah. talking about things. <laughs> okay, now yeah. we're talking about the world. When yeah. we talk about Duka Duka Naroda, we're talking about the supramundane dharma, beyond the world. But then, at which point does it stop becoming beyond the world? Because I've got suffering, and suffering really guides me to what to sort out in my life, what to address in my life. Oh, indeed. Well, indeed. And the Buddha included, first of all, in the Four Noble Truths, the truth of dukkha. So, yes, in a sense, we can say that we owe Dukkha a great debt. Thank you, Dukkha, for bringing us to the second, third and fourth noble truths. Yeah, but I, I'm, I'm on the other hand in which that suffering, they think is the, see, I'm, I'm anti-Buddha in a lot of ways. Okay. okay. Because, uh, see, at the end of the day, I feel the Buddha was right. Okay, but at this point in time, like like I was speaking to Mohammed, I need to have two opposing views in my mind. I need to question everything. So what did the Buddha do? The Buddha had his wife, he had his children, he left them in the lodge, he went out there, he didn't like suffering, he couldn't even handle seeing a sick lady or a dead person, he went into the jungle, then he couldn't deal with that, went to one teacher, said, okay, man, what can I do? I'm still suffering, went to teacher after teacher. Then he said, man, I don't even like this life. I don't even like lifetimes. I just want out. So he just put the work in to get out of everything. Okay. And mm -hmm. here we are enjoying every magical moment saying, no, I want to keep, and I feel sad. 
for example, me putting the work in and if I reach whatever, the progress of inside the goals, I'm cheating all those other lives from happening. Those are the beautiful past lives, future lives that I could be happening. You know, suddenly, if I'm out of the cycle of birth and rebirth, there's so much joy that's happening, so much enjoyment. That life that I leave after I leave the cycle of birth and death, right now I'm in the cycle of birth and death for an instant. But after that, there's bliss, there's magic, there's joy, but that's for eternity. Let me have this little time on this earth. Let oh, you, you, hey, something. hey. And this is me, this is me who's been yeah. flogged. I've been flogged, I put in a cage with, oh my God, this is when you step in. Yes. <laughs> hey, hey. Hi, guys, nice to see you. Hi, Parker. Hi, Ryan. And hey, who's this? This is Ron, Ron. Hi, Ron. This is my wife, Daddy. Nice to see you. I just pop in occasionally and disrupt the call. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, you were you were saying something very interesting, Ryan. Go on. No, but I love the suffering. I mean, suffering is amazing. It's just that suffering gives me desire. Suffering makes me move, and this thing, and uh, and I feel that even the desire is good. Maybe I can have the desire that comes from an open fist, but the mm -hmm. desire really gives me like. I want to eat clean. I want to meditate. There's desire. And the Buddha had desire. The Buddha wanted to run away from everything, do the meditation, move from topic to topic. And there's desire <laughs> anything. So there's... Indeed. Yeah. And, and you, you can play with the toy of Dukkha for as long as you like. I, I think there's... First of all, what you said reminds me of Jordan Peterson. He sometimes says that it's you it can be effective to put your suffering before you right where where you're scared of your suffering and you're using that as a fuel to do better right i feel like that's what you're doing kind of mm. um mm. but uh, there's there may be some confusion around the words pain and suffering always yeah, i was i was about to yeah ask so the same pain, thing right pain is something inevitable it's like a consequence of an action but suffering we can it's optional yeah it's optional it's often created by us so suffering would be when a patient has a diagnosis of say xyz and then because they have had that diagnosis now they are creating suffering on top of it mm -hmm. You know, uh, a patient who has had diagnosis of a terminal illness, instead of enjoying his or her last uh, few moments on the earth, are going to be depressed because they have that diagnosis. Or they may feel that they're going to be a burden on their family, which is kind of fabrication, which is unnecessary, which is created on top. I think that's what the Buddha was talking about. We, yeah, which is why... Being on that alternate translation of the word dukkha dissatisfaction. Yeah. Or let's say even like something not as extreme. Let's say you stub your toe on your yeah. bed frame, you know? Yeah. So basically what happens to you is you get an experience in the form of a sensation and a story. Yeah. Now, the suffering comes when you don't realize the differentiation between the two of these and you associate the story that the mind makes with the sensation that's simply there or you could or we could go 
far enough to say when you can cling, when you cling to the pain, like you gave the example of stubbing your toe, right? Um, if, if somebody um, interprets that as, oh my God, I'm having a terrible day because I'm stu I stubbed my toe. That's like going beyond which, what is immediate. You're mm -hmm. dragging it onto the future. You're kind mm -hmm. of clinging you, to the pain. Mm -hmm. yeah, you attach yourself to your interpretations of what the sensation is. I think that's what the Buddha was talking about. Yes, Ryan, you were going to say something. Yeah, so, so, so in case I stub my toe, I have a voice that enters my head and it says five seconds. Mm -hmm. That's it. I only have to take it for five seconds. It's gone in five seconds. Yeah, brilliant. And, and so, so, so I feel about pain. Yeah, pain is mandatory. Suffering is optional. Mm -hmm. but suffering. If there was, we are humans and we love suffering. We love drama. We create it. We seek it in our lives. And if there until was, a movie, we huh? until we don't. Yeah. If there was a movie in our heads, uh, sorry, that was goodness from start to finish. Only good things from start to finish. It would be a box office failure. Yeah. Oh, indeed. <laughs> well, I, I I don't think we love suffering, but I would say we need it to feel the contrast, to enjoy the happiness as much as we do. Like you I said. I agree with that. You need the highs for the lows. Mm -hmm. yeah, but I, like, on, right? You must be loving so much to bloody chase it so much. <laughs> Sorry, what was that? <laughs> I was saying, Ryan, you must be loving suffering to bloody right. chase it so much. <laughs> well, it's a kind of uh, it's kind of a dysfunctional relationship. Yeah. <laughs> you saying that to a psychiatrist? <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> um, with the contrast thing, that works when it's happy and sad in the worldly sense. Mm -hmm. In the dualistic mindset. Yes. Yeah. We're not after the same kind of happiness in the practice. We're after the happiness that remains in the absence of all else. The unconditional happiness. Yeah. yeah. That is our natural state. That is our default condition when we get everything else out the way. Where you can look at it and be like, and oh. The Buddha has te the teaching of, oh, go ahead. She's done. No, no, let okay. me listen. Um, the Buddha has the teaching of gratification, gratification, danger, and escape. Um, so when we're going through, um, and how you talk about, or Danny talks about, um, everything has highs and lows. You need you need the opposite to have the, or you need bad to have the good, right? Um, you you don't though, and that's the the teaching of gratification, danger, and escape, is that. Um, Many people, before they are wise, or uh, people who are not wise, they go through chasing the gratification, unaware of the danger. They they chase the highs, unaware that the lows, even though they've probably experienced them before, um, they're misleading themselves to think those um, highs are the end, where they're um, they're not. Um, so it's about just in investigating um, the highs that we find. Um, and see if we, we can find them where they're a little less dangerous. Um, <laughs> and, and once we have a high that's less dangerous, we can escape the, the high that was a little more dangerous. But what if we go for the most dangerous highs? What well, why would have? you want to do that? No, but we are going for the most dangerous highs. That, that 
I feel like like that's human nature, honestly. And we're destroying ourselves. I mean, that is destruction of the self. That's a high. Um, I think you're misunderstanding the um, dangerous in the sense um, there is adrenaline when you're doing something dangerous. I mean, um, uh, my dad's been watching shows on surfing where um, the surfers are now surfing waves as big as a building or if it mm. collapsed on them, I wouldn't want to see that video. Mm. <laughs> um, but um, there is an adrenaline that people seek, but not everyone does that because they know the dangers. Um, yeah, or the, the danger, we still have this cost-benefit analysis, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then on the other hand, some some people do rock climbing like they, like they do free soloing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thing to be mean that the person at that time is more alive than he's ever been in his life. Yeah. No, it's because that surge of adrenaline forces you to be present. He might interpret that cocktail of sensation as "I'm more alive than I've ever been." He's... And tell me why we have um, seven well, billion people think... and only one person did that to get their happiness. Well, I think it's not a matter of being more alive. I think it's I think it's simply a matter of being more present. You know when. Like, let's say you're doing something dangerous like that. You put yourself in a life or death situation, like surfing on a huge waiver, for example, going twice the speed limit on the highway. You're forced to be present because if you let your attention escape for even a split second, that could be the difference between life and death. That's a really good point. Yeah. When he's climbing over there, he has to be in Zen. He has to be completely aware. And so the question becomes, can we experience that presence without without Mm -hmm. these extreme phenomena, these extreme circumstances? Again, the story of ditching the raft comes to mind. Raft, raft, Mm, different analogy. A person may use that to be present in the moment. Okay. Yeah, if they were doing it as a deliberate practice, right? If someone was saying um yeah but that's hardly ever the case people do it because they're thirsting for that presence and they have no other way of growing up being taught like things you need to learn your abcs to be happy and then we'll be proud of you you need to you need to get a job and then we'll appreciate you so we go through life living by the same mindset we need to do this thing to get that and we take um and then so the rock climber thinks he needs to be in that rock climbing mode to be yeah. satisfied to be in the moment. <laughs> but, but you don't, right? Um, yeah. There's enough to look at right now. I mean, yeah. you have your own personal body, your own toy, and you can play with that. You can investigate that. You don't need to be, to be on, a, on a mountain to do some investigation. I see. Uh, yes, yeah. I would argue that those pers- those people who take on those challenges are probably practicing uh, mindfulness on, of some sort, minus the insight. Does that make sense? So they are they're experiencing it, maybe. Yeah, yeah I think they're practicing it, but they're not consciously aware yeah. that that's what they're doing but without insight into the jhana Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. best way for them to practice right but obviously there's a more easier more wholesome way to Mm -hmm. sustain and a more sustainable way Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to do that Mm -hmm. yes now to to pick up a thread that that was going earlier ryan you mentioned the the hardships of something like learning to play the drums 
Well, what I can tell you about my experience with that is it was a mixed bag. Some of the moments felt hard. Some of the moments felt delightfully easy. When I speak with people about my, my, my experience of learning to play the drums, as a teenager, honestly, it was often as though it was happening to me. It was, for the most part, a very easy process. And certainly, having seen hundreds of drum students since, I can tell you I was the anomaly, the kid who just wanted, just to, wanted be to be all the, all the time. So a lot of the moments were actually very pleasant. Uh, I've experienced all kinds of euphoria in playing music. Um, what I became interested in is the question, well, okay, can we do away with the nasty bits? Mm. Can I teach someone to play music with just the nice bits? And I'm having tremendous success. And we've been speaking about this pretty much, haven't we, Ryan? The okay, I, feel, I feel there's one major source of distress and pain in my life. Okay which is not being able to do the things I want to most do. Are you sure that you want to do them or could it be that you want to want to do them? <laughs> no, but these things are important, like getting a family. Says who? Says the selfish. There's team. no blueprint for what it means to be human. That's something I've come to understand. All these things that you might want to do are just ideas that were put in your head that you believe you need in order to have a fulfilling life. When at the end of the day, I, I believe as if fulfillment within itself is nothing more than an illusion. But the thing is, Ron, you've signed out. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Well, I haven't signed out. I haven't signed out, okay? So Here's the paper <laughs> that you're signing. <laughs> okay, so let, me, so let me ask you this. I know this is kind of a, a dark turn, but... What if you die tomorrow? What if I die right now? I yeah. die beautifully happy. All right, so. I don't want anything. So you don't need a family to be happy. No, but then I'd be in my life. And when, when this Ryan, who's living in the afterlife, in these afterlife worlds and concessional realities. Oh, well, well, well. That's based off the belief that there is in the afterlife and afterworld you know i'm if i'm sharing my own personal belief i think from a from a subjective physical standpoint i i personally i don't believe in the soul i think once you die that that's it your brain stops fabricating reality and there is no more ron or ryan or parker or dan goldfield anymore so i have a completely different view on that Okay. And and I'm also holding two things. I'm holding the thing that Ron, that you're absolutely right. Come on, man. What is this? We come and we leave. There's nothing. What is this? I'm going to go and into different past lives and future lives and all that. Come on, Ryan. You're full of shit. At the other time, I'm like, no, there's a soul. The soul is driving this thing. So so I just formulate where I come to is the one thing in life that gives me the most pain is not being able to do the things I most want to do, which is like, come on, Ryan, go out, get a girlfriend get the house can i express this in another way um or maybe give a bigger picture to how i experienced it in my life um in that um there were things certainly that i did want a lot um 
and I can look back at them now and still see some gratification in them. Say, um, um, there was a dream of being a professional athlete because um, that was a dream people around me had, um, and like say parents and such, um, and they had the same dream for themselves and it wasn't quite fulfilled. Um, so it's it's it was kind of my dream to um, complete uh, for them in a sense. Um, mm-hmm. So it's um, so as a kid, when you're young, you ignorantly adopt that as your own, right? Um, because oftentimes your actions, um, when you do something that's not aligned with that dream, um, those around you don't, the, the, they are dissatisfied with that, right? They don't like that you were disaligned with that. So you continue um, and you kind of build a model in your head, like, I'm going to do this because it makes me happy, because it does make you happy. If everyone's around you um, is mad at you, you're not happy, right? So you continue with that. Um, um, and you follow that, and you're like, this is the way I'm going to be happy, is beca- becoming this professional athlete, this dream that I have. And the same can be said with um, a career, a career but, going to college and such, a career in music. Happy, to make you happy. I'm not doing these things to make me happy. I'm doing these things because they have to be done. Exactly. I have to become a professional athlete. I have to. I have to get a job. I have to. Um, I have to go to college. Yeah. So, so, so uh, the way I see this thing is that I need to provide for future Ryan. And the thing is, past Ryans have wanted a family. Future Ryans will want a family. But this Ryan has to do the hard work of going and meeting people and possibly getting rejected and getting this thing and saying no and yes and the ups and downs of the dating game and all that. I have to do this. Okay. So I think so, um, okay. one so, thing so, to... I understand. What you, I want to point out one thing. Have you, You've heard the idea of destiny, right? Um, like I think it's better phrased determinism. Well, I think um, oftentimes the word destiny, we say we have this destiny. Um, I think that can be understood as we've done these habits in the past. Um, and when in the past we haven't changed these habits, um, consistent actions have happened. We have these habits that build up. So we make the ignorant assumption or false assumption that I'm going to continue doing these habits and the same thing's going to happen in the future. But you don't know that. So see, see where I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you where I'm going with these things. Okay, is uh, yeah, you're right. So, so that's what I'm thinking is about. That's where I'm going is about destiny. And so anyway, so I'll just move quickly. I'll just say it one sentence at a time to make it easier on you guys. So I've had these things. The things I was most upset about with myself or frustrated with that gives me most pain is why can't you do the simplest things? Why can't be you you be consistent and have a daily meditation practice? Why can't you be consistent and have a daily harmonica practice? Why can't you be consistent and sort your sleep out? These are simple things that you, that we'd like for you. Why can't you exercise every day? Simple things. Meditate for 20 minutes, exercise for 10 minutes, that's it, happy. But you're still not doing that every day. What the fuck? Why can't you do these simplest things? And then I find, after speaking to Dan, maybe the reason I'm not doing these things is there's too much attachment attached to it. Mm-hmm. There's too much wanting in this thing. And also in terms of relationships and women, what's the worst thing in terms of to get a woman? Which the one absolute thing you should not need is being needy, okay? And then wanting something and filling this hole, okay? So then, then I'm thinking, okay, fine. Let's say maybe I should really let go of these things and remove the charge. And this is the thing. 
then I finally get to Wu Wei, which is just completely let go. And then when I completely let go, things just happen. I'm reading the right books. I'm doing the right work. And then, then just things just automatically flow. And when this, the, and then I realized, Ryan, so then I was on a WhatsApp group of people doing personal uh, development. And I told them about discipline. They were talking about discipline. And I said, there's no such thing as discipline because how many things have you guys used discipline for to get? And how has it worked out for you? Okay, discipline doesn't really work. So the things that we've gotten good at, we don't need the discipline for. And so that, that's what you're trying to do, uh, Dan, with your patient. You're, you're saying that the students who need the discipline actually won't be taking the drums into the future. While the others feel that there's this thing taking over me. So the things that I've done well in my life, I've just taken over and I've just had to flow into it. So then I thought, Ryan, see, so with all these things, if I'm speaking to a girl, what am I supposed to do to really get along with her? Is I need to put Ryan on the side and let my divinity and her divinity connect. Something and, like that. And then be in, in the present moment. That's it. What do I do with, with life and these things that I want to do? Again, put Ryan and his wants and needs on the side. Let the divinity inside me just get through. So with all these things I'm realizing across the board, the thing is about self-transcendence is that Ryan, shut the fuck up, sit on the side. <laughs> Everything will happen on its own. I, I, I am Shiva. I am running the show now. Let well, me yeah, that's better than your wildest dreams. Mm -hmm. And here you go. You just sit back and relax. Yeah, that's actually the concept behind... Oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, like... Before you were saying how, you know, I've signed off and you have decided that you don't want to yet, but that's kind of the concept behind the whole path. You know, it's just you let reality happen on its own. Everything is still happening. There's just no doer in here slowing down the process. It just, yeah. it does exactly. itself. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And one way that we could express that would be the difference between wanting i.e. something that occurs naturally, genuine wanting, and wanting to want, which is altogether more of this, mm -hmm. should, zorts, and musts, things will be better if, uh, things yes. will be better when, right? My experience with the question, what do I want, was at some point in my Alexander Technique training, we were doing a lot of personal development material and that question is foremost in the personal development material, right? What do you want? Otherwise expressed as find your why, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? And I agonized over that question for a good year. I spent about a year agonizing over that question, which doesn't sound like long in conversation, but it felt like long at the time. And what changed was when I stopped trying to answer that question in the abstract as an essay question, what do I want, dot, 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 and started looking at what I'd been doing for the past hour, day, week, month, year, decade as evidence of what I actually want. Because if a desire is genuine, unless you're in such a mess that you're just acting entirely on shoulds, oughts, and musts, you would hope that your behavior will tell you something about what you want. 
And that's precisely what happened. And so what I realized was that I hadn't been counting, understanding myself, seeing things clearly, studying the Dharma, sharing time with Dharma friends, listening to talks, reading books. I hadn't mm-hmm. been counting that as a valid want. Because I thought a want had to look like a career, a family, all the things that I had been told that I should want, all of the things that I deemed acceptable to want, all of the things I wanted to want. The Dharma wasn't one of them. That wasn't on the list. No one had ever spoken to me about the Dharma in my youth. So then, then, Dan, the problem is that what I want is I want drama. I want, ah, ah, I want a big fat burger. Okay. <laughs> oh, I would love a big fat burger right now. <laughs> and then I find actually that what I need to be putting myself through is I need emotional discomfort. I need to put myself in dangerous situations where there's where the ego is under attack. Not dangerous situations where I'm standing in front of traffic, but where my sense of self can change. And well, so, I, yeah, could I you, mean, could you could you give an example? Now, for example, if Dan's doing drumming, mm-hmm. then suddenly Dan is now a teacher. So to yeah. step up to become a teacher, his sense of self changes. Yeah. When you enter a relationship and you're getting married, suddenly your sense of self changes. You're like, oh, okay, man is what I it's like it, it, it can be a different thing it's different and the ego wants to hold on to what is mm, the, other, yeah. the sense of self-changing if suppose the things I want to do if I succeed in meditation forget about my sense of self-changing there's just no self at all if I want to get to whatever to exercise or whatever there's again the old self is broken down and the new self is built up so with all these things that sense of past self goes to be built up by something new and then there's also this there's that egoic homeostasis where it wants to hold on to the old person i want to write books and then there's a change there's a fear and i think all fears underlying as the same thing that loss of self Mm. but interestingly self is itself a very elusive uh, concept because what we think is self is not your real self so when you think of Ryan, you you construct an image uh, with experiences that speak to you the most, that have struck to your memory, stuck to your memory for some reason. So basically, your version of Ryan is a fabrication. So if you think it that way, there is no Ryan in reality. So when, yeah. what you're saying, that your sense of self changes, I agree with it. But it's more like a role that you're playing. If See, you whatever, that that is, whatever you're seeing, you're seeing role that I'm playing. Yeah. I've done a lot of personal development work across the board, across several fields. Yeah. Okay. I meet anybody whom I met when I was 13. They say, mm-hmm. Ryan, you haven't changed at all. <laughs> <laughs> That's their interpretation. They're choosing to focus on the parts of you that haven't changed. No, but 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 that's what they will say. Come on, I mean, your friends also know who meet you from twelve and fifteen. They'll tell you, man, you haven't changed in a nice way. And that in would just nice reaffirm way. the belief of the self. Yeah. yeah. 
You see, what is happening is this is all malleable. This is the present moment. That's all there is. I'm creating yeah. a past narrative. I'm creating a future narrative. And based on my narrative, my life is just going. If I do a piece of work to change a certain self-belief, my life changes after that. So maybe all it is is just that I just have to keep changing these beliefs and these stories about myself. No, you have to ditch them all together. <laughs> yeah, you have to transcend them. So belief, belief is is another mental construct, mm-hmm. and we're better off without it. Belief is basically doubt. What is happening is what is happening is no matter what it is, there are some stories that I'm telling myself about myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is like, Ryan, you're not consistent, okay? Or Ryan, you're you're like this or whatever. Or and uh, so those stories, who's to say that they're true or not true? They're definitely not true. I can change them, but at the end of the day, it's mm-hmm. what. So maybe the point I'm really trying to say is that I'm really working with you guys, which is I'm just trying to surrender, and just let go and let Shiva come through me. But okay, so tonight I find Shiva moving my hands and doing a piece of belief, belief work for me. <laughs> so I have, a, I have a question for you, Ryan. So when you have a thought, a thought of your yourself coming up in your head, do you think that you are that thought, that you are the voice that's speaking? See, on an intellectual level, I don't think so. Okay, see, I feel that this is all false. Okay, and I probably have done a lot more drugs than you have also. So, so this thing. That's across the board. If you start counting now, guys, we'll catch up with you this time next week. So, 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 so I feel that, uh, no, that, that, see, I, I heard somebody say, find someone who's enlightened and see how many times they use the word I. Uh, yeah, I mean, yes, I know. It's yeah, it's just such a common word. It's it's almost yeah. impossible to There are a lot of things that don't make sense if you don't use. Um, that's that's if, kind of holding yourself to a yeah. very unreasonable standard. You can't yeah. function without using the word I. But I, I guess what you're funny, trying to I say. It funny at that thing. Yeah. So yeah. If if you're asking me, I can tell you answers on two levels, which is the answer that you're looking for, which is yep. This is me, and this is Ryan. Ryan is talking to you. Ryan is speaking to you. Ryan has this backstory. Ryan has his future story. He's got these beams, and this is all Ryan is. Okay. Then after that, there's the next level, which is there is no Ryan. There is no self. This is just an imagination. It's, there's even there's not even a Ryan. The craving is the Ryan. That's all Ryan is. Is the craving and the searching and this thing. And so my where I am right now is just let go, surrender. Leave the clenched fist and be in the open fist and see what happens and just give up to Shiva, giving you. Okay. So, so where is then all of this? You, you, we kind of went down this road, Ryan, on this idea that you said this is like your main problem right now is that you find that you're not able to do the things that you really want to do. So, but now once I suddenly give up, I'm able to do all these things easily. Perfect. Yeah. Bingo. Yeah. <laughs> And so that that's when I re- that's what I told those personal development guys. We need to move beyond discipline. Yeah. Yeah. 
Discipline is like bullying yourself. Yeah. 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 But where the belief systems change, no? see, for example, if I was sexually abused in childhood, or let's say somebody was sexually abused when they were child, they'll put on weight. And for them, no matter what they try, they can't lose the weight because the weight keeps them safe. But it's only when they access that belief and the story that suddenly they're able to lose weight and they wonder, ah, this is what happened. Hmm. We can look at, uh, just because you brought up dis discipline um, a few times, just to examine that word a little more. Um, we, along with the... I don't believe in it. No, I don't. Um, I understand how it came to be. Um, and same with like the word laziness. Um, I would say that the word discipline is someone um, who is unaware of how, say, someone who studies all the time does their studying or what's driving them. And they call that discipline just in mm -hmm. the way that they don't see themselves doing that. They don't understand why and they call that lazy. So it's kind of like a vague right. word where they see someone doing something and they say, I need to do that thing. They don't know how. So the way is to yell at yourself or say, I should do yeah. that. I should be disciplined. So, yeah, the problem arises when you try to replicate it without uh, understanding how to do it correctly, without, without loving the process. Yeah. yeah. Well, they might not be able to do it simply because they have the, such neediness towards it also, that wanting it so. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is all so new. I think it's, I, I enjoy remembering that these ideas really haven't been around for that long. For, for the longest time, the only real motivation was an empty stomach nah. or, or, <laughs> that, or that one was in danger or was going to either freeze or burn to death. Right. Mm. Those are real motivations. And yeah. you certainly don't need discipline for that. Mm -hmm. Right. So all of this is like first world problems, really. Yes. <laughs> you know. And while we were talking about wanting, um, I remember when I heard about the problems with wanting, I was like, how am I going to be able to do anything? What's going to motivate me? Like, am I going to drift endlessly if I ditch wanting altogether? Many practitioners. Right. Yeah. But, but yeah. what I realized is the more efficient way to motivate myself would be to make a choice. So like you were saying, Papa, making cost benefit analysis and making a choice rather than wanting or wanting to want or determining that I have a need and all of that stuff. It has to be a choice right now. And that's it. Nothing more, nothing less. Mm -hmm. Much simpler. Yeah. And those choices will compound, right? They'll start. Part of that choice will be surrounding yourself with more noble people, right? And then it's going to be a whole lot easier to make that choice when you're around noble people. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah it's snowballs, right? Yeah. And also we change over time also because now Ron looks like he signed out. But in another five years, he might be this person, the development guru who's got the Rolls Royce banging the hottie. He's got this cult down somewhere else. I mean, there's no reason why I can't do that and still be. And there's no reason yeah, exactly. to like, speculate either way, right? And, and in that whole conversation of where so many practitioners come to that point of feeling like, if I realize emptiness, I'm just going to drift or, or worse, I'll just be at the bar all day, every day. Or, you know, like, see, that's that's actually something that I don't agree with. You know, I remember, Ryan, earlier on, you said you can kind of predict the future 
you're able to like see how things are going to unfold well, based off present situations. Might have been joking. No, no, but I can, I can, I have to be. Able no, to, but to be able to, I saw you this. Know, you can. Today. I saw this patient today. I know within four to six weeks he's going to end up in hospital. So in the same way, I can, I can kind of see the the direction that my life is heading in. I can't really. I wouldn't be able to tell you the specifics, but I, I can tell the the general direction it's going to go in based off the way I was raised, you know, my household, the people I surrounded myself with, you know, like career-wise, business-wise, financially, this, that. But I feel like the only difference is with the practice is there's there's no attachment to the lifestyle. Yeah. You know, I still think my life is going to unfold in more or less a similar outcome regardless of my perspective of it the only thing i can really do with this practice is get more out of the same experiences that are bound to happen regardless but yeah. but anything can happen along the way also because this oh, is like of course. Weather. this is like the weather you can predict what happens tomorrow but once you go a few days down the line two weeks three weeks down the line there's too much chaos theory over it so even with this thing, I can predict what happens now. I can predict what happens over the next few days and weeks. I can't predict what happens down the line in years. Sure. I just can't predict that. Oh, no, I mean, yeah, that's what I was saying. I can't predict the, the specifics, but I'm able to see the general direction based I've off. I've never have been predicted that I've not had a drink in years. I've not smoked any weed in years. And so it's just... And um, the, these predictions... Um... Have you ever handled a gun? Yeah, you asking me. Um, yeah. So one of the rules, there are like four rules when you're handling a gun, like when you're at a gun range, for example. One of the most important is, well, there are two that I'll mention that you don't want, you want to make sure at all times um, you're acting like the gun is loaded, right? So you're not pointing it around um, at other people um, because... Um, you know, you could forget to unload the gun at one point, right? Um, and the other one would be not to point the gun anywhere you would shoot it. Um, and I think this is good analogy for wisdom. Um, that um, you can you can look at your life and see where the gun's pointing, kind of like understand yeah, exactly. that, hey, if I don't see much gratification um, in going out of my way to get this job, I'm probably not going to go and get this job, right? <laughs> Um, you can see where the gun is pointed. Um, but it's also important to make sure to look at the gun and make sure that it's the the same gun because you talk about wanting a family and all these things that you know they'll happen. Um, I think sometimes we conflate the current gun with the old gun, the well, old the habits that are starting to change. In my heart of hearts, I know I'm never going to get a family. Okay, because right now there is too much wanting and neediness attached to it. So what I need to do, I need, need to do a piece of work to cut down on the neediness and the wanting. I know I can let go to Shiva, but Shiva can only do so much. Once I get my neediness and wanting, Shiva is going to tell me, see, bro, you got to sort out the neediness and the wanting and mm. just let me sort it out. But you're coming in too much. You're, you're getting in the way even with the needles and the wanting. So that's when I say, okay, fine. I do a work where the charge goes. I need to tell myself that whether I have a family or not, I'm okay as I am and my life is amazing. I don't care if I have a family or not. Then once I get to that stage, the next week or two weeks, I'll get a girlfriend. 
Could be. <laughs> could well be. Certainly you could will be, be, but it could be that you won't. But you will yeah, be more sensitive on balance. Yeah. Oh, like, I used to be the exact same way. I used to really want a girlfriend, you know, eventually start a family one day. You know, and then I started going through this this nihilism phase kind of where everything was meaningless. This, uh, you know, like I was talking about earlier and I, I decided that I didn't want to have a family and that I didn't want to have children. And at this present moment right now, all I can really say is that I neither want one nor don't want one. I will just accept yeah. as it comes up Who knows? whether exactly. it does or not. I did ayahuasca for the first time. And then I realized, wait a second. I don't exist. The world doesn't exist. Everything, I come with nothing. I leave with nothing. Everything I work for doesn't matter. Nothing matters. What's the meaning of life? This is so bleak. And then I went to India. I was having a knee operation. So I'm just banged up in hospital. I have to listen to my mom all day long. I come back home. I'm staying at home. There's, there isn't anything else to do but smoke weed all day long. So I'm just lost in the cell. I'm just wondering, okay, man, what do I do? And at that time, actually, I met the girl who I, whom I actually felt most felt most in love with at that time ever. So, so then, I, so what I did was I got the ayahuasca from the UK from eBay, and I made the ayahuasca. I made it for six hours in two separate vessels, and I got it down. And I said, okay, man, you got me into this. You get me out of it. This is so bleak. I come with nothing, leave with nothing. What's the meaning of life? There's no meaning. And this is the thing. And I'm just, just so bleak. And then she told me, but I've just told you, you're God. And then I said, oh, okay, fine. And then she said, live every day with bliss. So then I started doing that. Then now I find there's an even better answer than living every day with bliss. And which is uh, being real. And so that's where I am now. But then now I'm thinking there is nothing real also. So it's like, oh, so the fabric of my reality is just breaking down over the last few days. It's just, yeah. So if you ask me what's changed a lot for me, for me, like Ron, your question at the beginning is meeting Dan and meeting you guys suddenly. And the practice, the fabric of my reality is just breaking down. And it's like, wait a second, I'm just this. I thought I, I had free will. I thought I had determinism. I thought I could... <laughs> Anything I wanted in my life, it's nothing. So now once I let go, it's like, okay, man, I'm on this treadmill or this movie that's playing and I'm just an actor and I just have to watch it playing. And then I'm thinking, okay, maybe the only way to change things around here in my life is to change the software. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the interesting thing about reality is that we'll never know which reality is true because... We all perceive reality in a slightly different way because subjectively, yeah, subjective is the right word. So, um, if you think of seeing a microscopic image with different brands of microscope, and these different brands use different composition to make different qualities of glasses, so everybody's reality is going to be everybody's image is going to be slightly different, right? It's like the people with seven blind men and the elephant. Oh, I don't know about that. It's, it's so basically, oh, it, uh, I'm sorry, it's your story. You explain it. I just got excited when I heard you say it. <laughs> who touches the ear and he says, oh, it's, it's got this thing, who touches the trunk and he says something else, touches the, the yeah. horn, 
says something else, or the tusks and it says something else, or different people, the tail. So they have seven different versions. And yeah. uh, so, so I feel in terms of truth, there are people who know the truth, for example, in my mind. One is the people who do astral projection. I feel those guys know the actual truth of what's happening because they visit external worlds and consensual realities that actually exist and they know the truth of what's happening but, around the world. Uh, how, how, yeah. I, I actually have a... Oh, well, well, hold on. I, I just want to say, how do we know that their accounts are objective truth and not just more subjective? So there are two people, there are different people who've gone to the same places and found the same things. And they've met each other over there, come back and shared viewpoints. Ryan, explain to me when, what you mean when you say the fabric of your reality is collapsing. The fabric of my reality is collapsing is that, see, I thought until last week or a couple of weeks ago that I had de determinism, I had free will. If I wanted to lose weight and I wasn't losing weight, it was just because whatever, it was just too much charge attached to it or like I've got an option. So now I just feel that that there is this subject-object differentiation. So if the seat of my consciousness is not here and it can be here, here, here and there and everywhere, then where is the question of free will and self-control? Then how can I have self-control if there is no self? And then if this, if we suppose... <laughs> <laughs> Can I point something out? Yeah, it sounds more like it's your belief system that's collapsing. We have, um, we have, um, so when we talk about reality, obviously we don't know what the elephant is, but we do have like our sensual inputs, right? We have the five senses mm. of being able to touch the elephant, and that's that's the reality we have, right? The feeling of the elephant, and oftentimes the person who's touching the elephant. They'll get into conceptualization, right? They'll start, oh, this elephant must have a nose because I'm touching its foot, right? But you don't know that. That's not reality. That's the conceptualization, right? So when we say our fabric of reality is collapsing, we're really just investigating and knowing that, oh, I really don't know if there's a nose on this elephant. I'm just touching its yeah. foot. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, but the foot is real to you, so relatively real to you, mm -hmm. but the nose is not, right? That's, that's yeah, and the, for even more exact, the, the sensations on my hand are real, right? The rough yeah. skin is real or whatever. Well, well yeah. And, civilization and as much as possible. Indeed, and, and we don't have to be insistent about those fabrications of the mind being unreal. We can say they are fabrications of the mind. Yeah, so exactly. we don't get reversed by them, but right. we just see them as something happening, the, the mind's so, interpretation, yeah. So I have a... I have a question more more specifically for you, Dan. Mm -hmm. So I know that, you know, you, you recall, as I said earlier, about how there were the, the different levels of insight, how there was awareness with the ego, then awareness or association with awareness, association with consciousness, just that. So from, from what I've read, all these different associations, all these different levels of insight, they're all altered states of consciousness. Mm -hmm except for the last one Correct. where everything syncs up to itself transcends everything else and that is the one unaltered state of consciousness so with that being said i just wanted to ask you what is your moment to moment perception of reality like very ordinary <laughs> and delightful 
Um, Dan's might come and go. They come and go. I see them kind of like the weather. It's a good analogy. Um, I have a wife, as you can see. I have a job. It's all very ordinary and marvelous at the same time. You just had a beer today? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I, I can probably uh, tell you better because I am not in his level, but I live with him. So I can see how we interpret the same events kind of differently. Dan is more like um, seeing things as they are and not creating anything more, you know, not projecting anything onto it. If if there's a, there's a crisis, it's crisis. He doesn't he doesn't um, impose any um, you know subjective color onto it. He doesn't necessarily. He would react, but he doesn't. Um, what would I say? Elaborate on that. And put meaning like this happened. There's a crisis. I fucked this up. Why did I fuck this up? What was wrong with me? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so, oh shit, I fucked it up. Oh, damn it. Oh, like none of that. All right. So, on top of that, I have another question for you, Dad. Mm -hmm. Is there a center point for your experience? There's no center completely dissolved. No, indeed. If a center were to arise, it would be seen as something that arises and passes away. To take something as a center is just that. Is to take it as a center. So that any any anything that could be called self, if you can point at it. It's not it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? Anything. Anything. So I'm assuming you've reached the like the ninth jhana, stuff like that. Oh well, I mean I haven't or... read about Jhana's very much at all. I like Damarato's presentation of Jhana, which is that the first is all that's necessary until it's not, <laughs> until you just don't really care about it much anymore. Mm. Um, around the time that Damarato was encouraging me to teach, um, he said something along the lines of, welcome to the club, now we won't talk about the club anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Because it's there's the 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 more it's thought about, spoken about. I can certainly tell you that um, I was able to report a, a diminishing and diminishing concern for where I was on the path or my degree of insight or attainment or anything like that. Mm. As my relationship with Damarato went on, I just stopped caring, and that turns out to be. A qualification in a sense <laughs> yeah that we just i always just find matter. those maps to be triggering a kind of wanting in me like you know um i i tend to become very goal oriented okay i'm, I'm introducing new new con potentially confusing words no, that's okay just no, just not at all 
Uh, no, it's because in in a previous video call we explored about goals and yeah, goal orientation right. and everything. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, those kind of maps can uh, trigger wanting and attachment to the path, but it's definitely again. Uh, I like to think that those parts were drawn up by a person. Mm -hmm who was talking from their own experience mm -hmm. and had probably studied others' experience, but there cannot be one single or two parts. Everybody can have different parts. And thanks to today's kind of lifestyle, um, it's very difficult uh, to maintain one particular way or definition of enlightenment, you know? Yeah, that's that's what I wanted to say because I've, I feel like, you know, you have all these different teachings and they label the same things in different ways. But at the end of the day, awakening within itself is universal. It's, you know, but, but I awareness. Feel, I, feel, I feel sometimes enlightenment might be different from the end process. Enlightenment to me is just that loss of the self. So I, I think enlightenment the is the end point. Yeah, I think we're but in. Then, but then there are different things. For example, with with the great work in Western esoteric magic, it's about the philosopher's stone at the end. With the uh, Zogchen, it's Rigpa, mm -hmm. and Zogchen Rigpa is the end of the end of the Buddhist progress of insight. So all these journeys, they have their different end parts, and they don't map onto each other that readily either. Well, we it, it's it's dodgy territory yeah. when we start yeah. trying to equate yeah. what one teaching says with and this this was a, a major challenge for me at, at some point was uh here's all of these ancient teachings and in most of these teachings we find very convicted language that the teacher is saying this is the way mm -hmm. all other ways are false what i realized at some point is that when these teachings were being given, they were probably speaking to people who were sacrificing goats <laughs> to try to yeah, make I think I, th I think you were right, honestly, when you said that experience or enlightenment is just the end of the self. But I also think that that is within itself the end point. You know, that's why earlier on I asked Dan if there was a center in his experience because I, the way I see it, as long as there's still a center point from which you are experiencing, there's still a self. And once that center point has been completely and permanently dissolved, then you're there. So yeah, but, but you see, but, but I, I, would, I certainly wouldn't tell anyone that I never have the experience mm. of being behind my eyes. But that's an experience. Also, Does that make sense? And it's not yeah. it's not around all the time and it's yeah. never been around all the time. But but I remember a meditation in which I realized that it's not around all the time where <laughs> in delusion I had been thinking that it was somehow ticking along in the background. Certain aspects, certain experiences, flavors, sets of sensations, thoughts, feelings that I deemed to be Dan. I assumed were somehow maintained somewhere when my attention was not on them and, and during that sit oh, I saw yes, clearly that just
<laughs> yeah, that, that's 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 actually uh, that can trigger acceptance and ultimate realization in you when the brain goes, "This is too much. I'm going to shut up." That's yeah, I mean, exactly. That's actually that's the first yeah, that's step so to I'm insight. Thinking, I'm thinking I go through meditation and the self is going to dissolve. When actually the self dissolves along the way, lots of times I'm keeping it alive with the craving and the jumping and this yeah. thing. No, the, and, the real yeah. insight comes when your brain kind of collapses on itself, realizes yeah, that yeah. it can never possibly know the truth. Sure, sure. <laughs> For me, it was an experience of how things actually already are. Yeah. I love speaking about the path in subtractive terms it's a process of subtraction as opposed to achievement attainment getting something changing something it's about seeing things as they already are and so what i saw in that sit was the way things had always been was that there was an experience coming and going that i took to be dan and that it was indeed an experience coming and going. It's like Rupert Spira says, if someone asks you about tea and coffee and you choose coffee, there's no thought between tea and coffee and coffee. But there are these other filler thoughts, some of which, which with I, and that I takes responsibility for all the other thoughts. Mm, yes. Right, right. So you, you, it's not that you always prefer coffee you sometimes maybe prefer tea but you're making a generalization based on the number of times you've reached for coffee right so but, but even not even that it's just a random thought that came right okay thoughts that we have are just random thoughts that come and mm. we are not creating the thoughts it's just random thoughts that are coming I, well, tell me tell me this ryan would um i tell me this say um there's a new uh, Marvel movie coming out, for example. Would someone a thousand years ago, would he have the thought, I want to see that Marvel movie? Of course not. So that is to say that the thoughts that we have are conditioned by what we're experiencing now, right? If coffee didn't exist, you wouldn't want that coffee. So it must be um, then that is like relying on some kind of past memory, wouldn't you say? Yeah. But there's no me that's generating that coffee thought. There's there's filler thoughts about me, and I think those me is taking responsibility for the coffee thought also and all the other thoughts. So we right. So we we deem certain thoughts to be quote central. Yeah, that's in, what I was trying to right? point out. Yeah, yeah. yeah right. There's just an I thought. There's just an I thought. So I'm thinking about yeah. coffee. I'm thinking. See, I'm not thinking about coffee. I'm thinking about Florida. I'm thinking about Cash Twenty Two. I'm thinking about Phantom Comics, whatever. So there are four random thoughts that just came. Thought, okay. And then, I mean, the other thing that blew my mind in this to and fro question and answer session was the guy's follow up question was they did this YouTube and he heard about this experiment on YouTube and it's there on the internet. I think we've all heard about it. Is that they had to ask these people to choose one of two things randomly and quickly and then when something flashed on a screen and they chose it instantly and when they did the fmri they found out they made the decision six seconds earlier hmm. yeah that's yeah the... i know what you're talking about yeah. yeah and so so this is so these are all these thoughts that are coming and so there's these thoughts about your florida cast 22 fandom and whatever and then in between there's that okay i'm i'm talking now 
or I'm talking too much or whatever. So this is the thing, the I'm talking too much takes responsibility for all the other thoughts about Phantom, Mandrake or Florida or Catch-22. Because you mentioned fMRI, um, it, it triggered my inner nerd. So I'm just going to mention the way I perceive self is process. What you're saying, random thought, is basically automatic process that you don't have to consciously, deliberately process. So it seems like a random thought to you, and it may seem like it's not part of you, but it actually is if we consider there is a you. But on the flip side, the random thoughts and the deliberate thoughts, none of those are you because they're intertwined with what's happening outside you. I mean, you, you are awareness, ex exactly. Yes. So, the, yes. so, But these random thoughts that are coming to me are brilliant and super helpful thoughts. Sir. <laughs> They're not critical, painful right. thoughts. They're like, sort this out, sort this out, this, this. Sir. Yeah, yeah. So indeed, we, we it, it's a mistake to make an enemy of thought. Yeah. Yeah, thoughts can be very useful. The, 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 I think the best way of... Uh, speaking about the thinking mind is as a tool. Mm, yes. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. You, yeah. Can, you can never get rid of thought. Right. You can only see them as they are. Yeah. So the I, tool, think that, I think um, that's it's a tool that um, if we know how to use the hammer, they can be helpful, right? But if mm -hmm. we don't and we're smashing our fingers with it, not so I like I like using Indeed. scalpel for that analogy. <laughs> and then we you could give look a doctor at... a scalpel. Like you, you, you go, you go do some surgery, but you give a toddler a scalpel. Uh oh. Yeah. Well, well, we all are. No, we are toddlers. We are toddlers given machine guns as an analogy. You know, like the choice that we have around us, the problems that are around us. I mean, I feel like we're all alcohol and drugs. And I mean, I feel like we're all really toddlers on the inside. Yeah. At the end of the day, the first experience that your brain has ever had was you as a child. And it doesn't matter how much your body physically ages. It's still the same thing that's always looking yeah. out. That that kind of basic identity is is created early, isn't it? And everything else is a layer on top, right? Exactly. <laughs> And when you shed those layers, you you start you to happen. feel more childlike because, you know, I, I, I recently read this book or I'm actually, well, this is actually the book that I'm reading right now. It's called Contemplating the Nature of Experience by Rupert Spira. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of very insightful quotes in that book. One of the things that he said that stuck with me is that uh, time is created by the mind and space is created by the senses. Mm. Space mm. is created by the senses. I get that time is created by the mind for sure. Can you elaborate on how space is created by senses? So, uh, well, well, I need like a moment to like get my <laughs> thoughts together. I think yeah. I'm in this room, and then I'm my. My eyes tell me how far it is. My voice tells me. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Because your senses, they, they include vision, smell, mm -hmm. touch, you know. You see something in mm -hmm. the distance and you perceive mm -hmm. that as separate from you and far away from you. And your mind creates that sense of 
right separation so, in space through the senses i you was know, gonna if you say, feel oh sorry no go go ahead i was saying it when you feel the air on your skin instead of another solidified object touching it you have this sense of separation and yeah. these two together when the mind fabricates time and the senses separate space it makes this this fabrication of duality in your reality so that's kind of what solidifies the belief that you are separate from everything else i i get what you're saying but at one at what point would you separate sensation from mind always basically sorry always how would you well if you so didn't have mind to interpret the sensation as such how would you know it's a sensation well sensations are always aware of themselves it's it's like i said before an experience is simply a sensation with a story attached to it the feeling of the sensation is the body the body experiencing that and then the idea behind the sensation is the mind giving it solidity so but every time i experience something I just, sorry, what, what was it right uh, the body has millions of sensations or even trillions of sensations at any point in time sorry. okay let me ask you a question. If I touch myself here, would you say the sensation is happening here or here? Everywhere. No. It's happening there. It's, it's happening, happening along that line and yeah. It's happening right here. It's happening here. Yeah. So if I do this and if I do this, is it the same sensation? Well, it might feel different it might be a different sensation because it's not in the same place in space or time but and it is in sense it is in a sense the same thing because you know, this is another thing that i read a, the sensation itself it doesn't have the differentiation of good or bad it doesn't have any type of differentiation since a sensation is just a sensation all these different concepts good bad hot cold those are just the stories that the mind adds on to it so you know you every time every time i'm experiencing something consciously you know putting my awareness towards it i kind of i try to divide the experience into its smaller components hmm. which is kind of like what vipassana or an aspect of it is like it's it's like an inverted pyramid in what pyramid is there's millions of sensations with those millions of sensations there's hundreds of thoughts attached to those sensations those hundreds of thoughts uh, are attached to those sensations cause the meaning and mm. there are fewer meanings attached to it then with those fewer meanings and emotions there are much fewer actions and then much fewer behaviors and then they go all the way down yes but what i'm trying to say is sensation basically are just data right just just input but the idea that the sensations are different from the mind is not accurate so we often think the mind is located in the brain or in the head but to be honest the mind is throughout the body rather it's like the existence right so a sensation is going to be interpreted as a sensation only when you interpret them so that's why we have perception 
So that's what I was trying to say, that the mind cannot be kind of separated. I, I agree with what Rupert was saying, that the mind creates Wrong. time. Oh, Rupert, the yeah. author. Yeah, the author. Yeah. Uh, that the mind creates time, but sensation creates uh, space. I mean, I get what, where he's coming from, but I would say it's, again, the mind. Um, oh, but Rupert would, would agree with that also. Rupert's very much... Yeah. No, yeah. I agree with what it is that you're saying, that all the sensations are created in the mind. Mm -hmm. But I'm saying as well that these sensations also give you the fabrication of space because yeah. from yeah. the perspective of truth, yeah. truth, yeah. you know, all of reality is just one seamless totality. Every sensation is free falling in the center of infinity. So there is no center. But, mm -hmm. you know, our sensations from the perspective of the brain fabricate a center and they fabricate a differentiation. Like, you know, I'm looking at the wall above my computer and I see that as not exactly where I am, where so this body has the experience. Thing. Mm -hmm. You have that subject object differentiation. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And yeah. And this stuff. Not yeah this stuff has function it has its purpose oh i think at the relative level i mean at the, at the can't away with the subject object um what we can do is not cling to it or yeah. take it as the ultimate reality yeah yeah and, and look at where it's not helpful right so for example the the extreme end of identification is narcissism right mm -hmm. ain't helpful <laughs> it ain't helpful maybe it would be worth us territorialism yeah territorialism all that stuff maybe it would be worth us in that situation seeing if there's anything we can do to soften our sense of self by seeing things more clearly yeah. right yeah so if narcissism is a malfunction mm -hmm. a disorder um and if we think about identification as on a spectrum mm -hmm. then perhaps all we're actually interested in is seeing precisely that it's a spectrum that it moves around yeah right that is different in each moment and <laughs> indeed seeing that really dissolves the whole thing yeah. it's just seemed to be Joke. Let, let's move from narcissism in, in narcissism into the ultimate narcissism, which is I am everything. There is no subject object differentiation. I've reached enlightenment. I can't get any more. Well, <laughs> well indeed, yes, the spiritual ego. Yeah, yeah. Well, yes and no, because from from what I've read, at least that there is a trap there, but the trap yeah. is avoided by first of all realizing no self, because if you try to have the realization of infinity that I am everything without first realizing no self, you are ultimately just projecting your own ego onto everything else. Also, I think the uh, right attitude can help with that yeah. to, to set the foundation. If yeah. you got the preliminary practices sorted, you've got that in kind of integrated into your being, you're less prone to um, interpret no self, 
non-duality as narcissism, right? Well, yeah, I think I think that um, where Ryan started was the the spiritual ego, right? Is the let me okay? I found all these books. Let me now <laughs> make a new identity out of all of that. Yeah. Um, which, yeah, we can we can all see if we open up Instagram. <laughs> yes. ego of not having an ego yes yeah and and what what a wonderful trap uh for one to find one's way out of mm-hmm. <laughs> right i mean if you know if one can see that one is in that trap then that's there's some really good fuel in that i would say yeah the trap collapses yeah. 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 The ultimate aha moment, right? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys, I'm going to wrap things up here. Great seeing Great. you all. Yeah, this is awesome. Oh, it was a pleasure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So much it's... fun. Great to see you again, Ryan. I always really enjoy the discussions that we have. And Ron, it's great to meet you. Yeah, it was, it was lovely to meet all of you. Debbie, Except Dan. Dan we know you. Yeah. Good. So, Ron, we're we're here every Tuesday at the time that I called today, whatever that is for you. So you can expect three p.m. Three p.m. Three p.m. for you. So you can expect to hear from us this time next week. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay, guys. More more likely than not, we'll be tagging in again. Great. (laughs) Then. Bye, Bye, guys. guys. Bye, guys. Bye.